This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. You're watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if you are listening to The Hash, you're listening on the Coindesk Podcast Network. It is Wednesday, June 8th. We are hours away from Consensus 2022. These two look very excited. I'd like to see a little bit more excitement, guys. We're in Austin. We're getting ready for Consensus. If you're not in Austin, there's still time to get a flight and come down to this hot, hot city. But if you can't get a flight because they're all booked up, because everyone is on their way to see us IRL, you can get a virtual pass to see the live stream. So we'll be talking more about Austin later on. But Will, I think you have our first story. There's a lot of practice going on in Ethereum land. That's right. First story of the day is Ethereum. That's Ropsing Testnet is practicing to go over to proof of stake in what is known as the merge. The merge is basically swapping from proof of work, which is the consensus mechanism Bitcoin Ethereum currently uses, and moving to proof of stake, which is a new consensus mechanism Ethereum has been trying to move towards since its inception in 2014 and 2015. Ropsing Testnet is basically Ethereum Lite. It has no economic value. It's just a chain that's out there for developers to push code onto and see if it breaks or not. And right now, they're trying to see if the merge will break or not. So they're rolling it out. And right now, it seems to be going pretty well. I think we're within the next 20 blocks. It's going to be a swap to proof of stake. If it's successful, what does that mean? Well, it means that the merge is probably in a good place to go ahead on the actual Ethereum chain. And what does that mean for everyone who's holding Ethereum bags? Well, it's probably pretty good, right? Like the biggest transition for the Ethereum network ever is going to take place and could take place successfully. If it doesn't go well, well, that probably means that the merge needs to be delayed once again, which I don't really know. You could take your own opinion on it. Maybe that's a bad thing at this point. I don't know if that is good or bad for either the token. George, I'm going to throw it over to you. Get your take on it. Yeah, I actually am not really that up to speed on what this might mean, but I would love to ask you a question about these types of things. So my first question, is it coming? Because I have a semi-open-ended Twitter bet <laughs> with Tim Baiko about if it happens before year end. We never like consummated the deal, but I might have to send him a tungsten cube. So do you think it'll happen this year? I would get the packaging ready, get his address, because I think you're going to have to pay Uh-oh. up there. I okay. think it's going to happen pretty soon. George, you got to do some consulting before you take these bets. I'm reckless out there. Anyway, my other question is, they're merging in this code, right? And they're trying to see if the code is going to work or not. Is that really the, you know, killer thing here? Because isn't the idea that, okay, we know proof of stake could work as a consensus mechanism, like in this theoretical framework, and we don't know if it's going to work in like the real world, right? Isn't like the idea that it might break when you start doing like real economic things with it? Or am I just completely off base here? No, I think you're actually spot on there because there's like two different questions you should ask, right? One, is the merge going to be successful? And two, is like proof of stake going to be successful long term? So there's definitely two different questions that people should be cognizant of here. The merge is the biggest thing, right? You can't even ask the second question if you can't even get past the merge. And there could be a lot of problems with the merge, right? Like maybe something doesn't happen correctly. Maybe there's a bug in some sort of line of code. I'm not a Solidity developer or I'm a Go developer, so I don't know exactly what that would look like. But you could see that there could be some hiccups. Anytime you're merging new code, you could have some sort of hiccup. So if that doesn't happen successfully, you can't ask the next questions, which is, is proof of stake, the economic 
benefit to Ethereum and like the environmental benefit and all the other changes that they're talking about, is it going to be successful in the long term? And I think that maybe if we get to a world where we have a proof of stake Ethereum, then we can actually see those two things, right? So to date, the battle, especially on Twitter, has just been like Ethereum's future claims about it and Bitcoin as it is right now. It's really been Ethereum versus Bitcoin. Like basically it all boils down to that. So it's like proof of stake versus proof of work. We don't have a proof of stake network that we can really compare apples to apples with Bitcoin. So I think you're spot on there. We'll see what happens. So Jen, your take? Yeah, I also just have questions for you. Every time we talk about this merge, <laughs> it's just questions that are fired in Will's direction. And we've spoken about this so many times. And so it's kind of exciting to see that the final practice, the final dress rehearsal is happening. But Will, can you remind me and our audience about the actual problems that are being solved here? I know that climate concern is one of them. And, you know, gas fees and speed are not being covered by this merge. Remind us of the problems we're solving and what that lays groundwork for as we move forward. Yeah, it depends on who you talk to, right? Some people think that this is actually creating problems, not necessarily solving any. But for Ethereum developers, what they're thinking here is one, proof of stake is less environmentally harmful than proof of work. Proof of work requires ASICs, requires a lot of energy, requires a lot of facilities. Proof of stake requires validators. So you can spin up a validator on your Apple laptop. Boom, right there. Pretty simple to use. There's some other benefits as well. A lot of people don't like proof of work's 51% threshold for attacks. And they think that proof of stake offers more economic security to the chain because you basically are putting your own money onto the chain. And if you attack the chain, then you're going to forfeit that money. So I think those are the two biggest things, both like the environmental concerns and then the security concerns. But of course, like I was saying, there's a lot of people argue against both those things. They don't think either of those things are real. So we'll see how it ends up. George, any final thoughts? I mean, if proof of stake ends up being commercially successful, I mean, Bitcoiners need to think about that, right? I'm not saying it'll ever go to proof of stake, but it might be a viable way to have a consensus mechanism and why not? I mean, I think a lot of Bitcoiners think that there's only room for one proof of work blockchain and that might be true. And we would just have a bunch of other proof of stake stuff doing different things. It's uh, I've been with a bunch of Bitcoin Maxis today. I'm not as much of a hater as uh, they are. So anyway. I hope we see the merge happen, but George, now I'm conflicted because I don't want you to lose this bet. Oh, I want the cube as much as anyone else, so I'll be fine. <laughs> do you have one with you? Did you order it already? No, I do not. I've held one before. They're great. All right, let's move on to Korea. So Solana is committing $100 million to supporting crypto projects in South Korea. The fund is going to focus on virtual gaming, NFTs, and DeFi projects and hopes to penetrate the developer market that was shaken up last month when Terra's ecosystem collapsed. So, Will, I'm going to kick this down to you. It really feels like there's a fight and a race towards scooping up all of these developers when projects failed or projects kind of fizzle out. What do you think it's going to take to win over these developers? There's a real shortage, I would say, of developers in DeFi. So what is it going to take? Is it just money? Probably just paychecks. I was a lot of money. Like, I think a lot of these terror developers, like <laughs> they don't have any money now because like the chain got wrecked. And maybe they do. The most I've seen about this is really just like grassroots recruiting on Twitter where people are saying, like, hey, we're hiring devs if you're in the Terra ecosystem, come join us. Like even though the Terra ecosystem basically exploded, there technically are still things happening on the Terra ecosystem. So you like totally can't discount the fact that developers are going to stay. But the Terra ecosystem was part of the larger Cosmos ecosystem. 
which itself is also a very vibrant developer community with a lot of different on-chain applications and a lot of dApps people are building. There's still stuff there to talk about. And then larger than that, right? Everyone needs engineers. That's been like the drumbeat for the last two years is like, how can I get more engineering talent at my team? And it's really difficult. We've seen crazy bonuses for companies trying to hire people. Masari is a really well-known company in the space. At one point, they were offering like 10K bounties just for referring somebody to be an engineer talent at their team. We've seen even crazier stuff. Last night, I was talking with somebody who competes with Coinbase and like nobody was able to beat out Coinbase's offers. They're offering like 30% over market just to get engineering talent. The confusing thing to me though is like Solana is putting this money up, this $100 million at the same time that we're seeing so many other companies move towards layoffs. So like I said, Coinbase, they put a pause on hiring and they rescinded some offers. A bunch of Latin American exchanges have laid off like up between 90 and 100 people. So stuff like 2TM, which was pretty big for Latin America market. Solana is now going out with this $100 million and saying like, come join us, come build with us. That probably tells you a lot about like, how Solana managed its net worth and like the value created during the bull market seems like they were pretty smart with the value they created. But it's also a bit confusing when you're seeing other people being laid off. We'll see what happens with all these people. George, your take? Yeah, I think I completely missed the human element of this and like people who have lost their jobs getting jobs in Solana because I got sidetracked sure. by the gaming stuff and they're talking about gaming again. I don't know if I can go off on that tangent unless Jen has something to add to the human side of the story. I had this idea this week where wouldn't it be cool if we could put all of these devs and engineers like on an island and do like survivor engineer edition and they could compete in real world activities and win millions of dollars and the chance to build for one of these projects. I think it would be awesome. And the next reality hit. But George, take it away (laughs) with some real information. That sounds great. That sounds awesome. (laughs) I'll do it. Man, I'd watch that. Okay, games, right? Are we doing games again? I'm the ultimate bear yes. on this, like DeFi games, <laughs> blockchain games, whatever, another like, come on. You're not going to build a game that's fun to play that requires some sort of settlement on a blockchain, even if the settlement is three seconds, two seconds, whatever. It's just like you're abstracting away the trading element of like an AMM and you're just putting a game on top of it. The funniest quote from this entire article was an unnamed source saying, they know how to build stuff over there. Big, beautiful games. <laughs> it's really something to see. And I'm like, okay, is the anonymous source Donald Trump? I'm not going to be political here, but if that's the case, I mean, what beautiful games are going to build other than absolutely nothing? So anyway, Jen, tell me that games aren't bad. Well, I must say, if anyone is going to build the games in a way that it's really going to attract mass adoption and be big and beautiful, I think it's the South Koreans. The gaming market in South Korea was $15 billion last year. And the Koreans are really, really serious about gaming. There was an article in the New York Times, I think it was in 2021, that outlined the journeys of these teenagers in South Korea who are training to join esports teams. And they sleep like only three or four hours a night and they train and they are committed. And that's really part of the culture in Korea. You know, they are very committed to whatever they're setting out to learn. And so whether that's something in the arts like the K-pop schools they have, or that's academics. You'll see kids who are very young arriving home on buses from school at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And that's when they start their extracurriculars. So they are very, very serious about what they're dedicated to. And so I think if we are going to invest money into a community or anywhere that's going to build the games that are going to drive mass adoption, 
I think South Korea is a pretty good bet. But Will, I saw your hand go up. I'll wrap up. DeFi gaming, probably going to be in the bear market. Probably going to be casualty for the bear market for a little bit. But it could pop back up. I'm interested to see what comes out of this bear market or if this turns into a crypto winter. ICOs kind of died, right? Like they didn't really come back ever. We've moved into like yield farming, things like that. NFTs have managed to stay around, but DeFi gaming and all the gamifying stuff out there for token yielding, like does that survive whatever we're going through right now? That's my question for the next six months to one year, but I'll leave it there. Time will tell. George, right. you got not, a sorry. fun little bank report to talk about. Is that right? I guess I do. Uh-oh. So my story <laughs> is another day, another investment banking research report on crypto. And this one says, and I quote, tentative evidence suggests a reduction in trading volumes and futures positions, but not wholesale declines in investor interest in this space. I mean, like, guys, do you need tentative evidence here, right? Everyone's like pretty scared, right? After the Luna crash, like this feels incredibly obvious. Like, yeah, people don't really like volatility and right. But as a resident permable, I want to get in front of the newest narrative coming at you to a Twitter thread near you soon. We have volatility appreciating assets. And I don't think that's a word, but yeah, I think that's how the spinsters on the internet are going to spin it and I'm sticking with it. I do want to bring up a really interesting opinion piece in Bloomberg from like two weeks ago, maybe it was a week ago by Tyler Cowen, who is an economist. And he talked about the volatile nature of crypto being actually a reason people invest in it in the first place. And the reason this pairs well with this report from Citi is because they're talking about volatility as a reason not to invest in it, right? Because Terra, Luna, that whole thing wiped out so much wealth within the crypto ecosystem. And for good reason, right? It just exploded on everybody. So everybody lost. And Bitcoin, a lot of these other tokens experienced contagion because of that. But that doesn't mean that people are not going to like stick around, right? Like Some people really got burnt and they're not going to like the volatility. They don't like the volatility, but it's well known that there's volatility within crypto at this point. Like, if you're going to buy your Shiba Inu token, like you're probably expecting it to either 5x or dump back down 99%. So, I don't get these reports because I think they don't take like the contrarian opinion very seriously. They just sort of take like the high road opinion you're expecting and then they publish it and print it. We've seen a lot of these. I've been railing against them all the last year. I'm not a huge fan of them. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. I must tell our audience, Will, that when we were choosing what stories to talk about, I really supported George's decision in talking about this just to get your take. And so I will just continue that for as long as I'm on this show. Uh, So I zeroed in on another report that we saw come out this morning by DAP Radar that said, despite market volatility, NFTs are still booming for some reason. And this reminded me of an insight, Will, that you brought back from ETH Denver. The NFTs are becoming an entry point for newcomers to the space. And so I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition to this article because market volatility is slowing mass adoption, but NFTs are still booming. And so I think that we're going to see you know, newcomers to the space continue to dabble in NFTs. It's a little bit easier to understand how they work and the benefits of holding on to an NFT. You don't have that same volatility yet. And so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Another part of the article that I thought was kind of funny, and I didn't read the report, so I just need to caveat that. Maybe it is explained in the actual report. I just read the article that they didn't take the time to explain the difference between algorithmic stablecoins and asset-backed stablecoins. And even the regulators are taking the time to explain the difference and kind of set the stage and context for what we're talking about here. And so I was 
a little disappointed in this banking report. But George, I'll toss it back to you. For Were you surprised point. though? That Not surprised. To do that? No. That the banking no. analyst failed to take into consideration <laughs> the basics. I'm not. <laughs> no, I know. Me neither. Yeah. As a former banking analyst, I can assure oh, you. Oh, no. The enemy. <laughs> George. We don't really know. They they're it. pretty sleep deprived. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. <laughs> just. <laughs> the key word is former. That's right. All these reports are George's old friends and we're just, just <laughs> hating on them every time. Sorry. My bad. Sorry, George's friends. Well, there is something to not hate on. Consensus starts tomorrow. We are all in Austin, Texas. It is hotter than ever. So if you are coming down to Austin, bring some swim trunks. And the hash will be live. So you can catch me, Zach, Wendy, Will. And this is very exciting. You'll see in the bottom right-hand corner of this image, OG Ben Powers is back. IRL live in action in Austin. I cannot wait for Ben. So we'll be live 12 p.m. Central Time, which is 1 p.m. Eastern. And if you can't make it in person, don't worry. You can now get a virtual pass to the Consensus live stream sponsored by BitGet. So register online, coindesk.com slash consensus 2022. Thank you so much for watching, everyone. Thank you, Will. Thank you, George. And we will see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.